Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today's guest is another old friend. Hi, Trilby. Hi, Ann. <laughs> um, Trilby and I went to the same school from like elementary all the way through high school, and both our moms died around the same time, but they had very different causes of death. And I've already said that my mom died of breast cancer and she'll be, I know your mom was murdered. Um, so before we begin, I just want to say um, at the top to um, kind of call out the response to that because I remember that some of my friends' reactions and remembering were all, we were all teenagers at the time. Um, but a lot of friends, when that happened, when your mom died, were telling me, because my mom had already died, but pretty recently, um, oh, that's so much worse, you know? <laughs> and I just want to say that because I'm really careful, really in all my grief work, not to rank grief experiences or decide like what's better or worse, because really it's all terrible. And um, any child that loses a parent at a young age is, is going through a hard time, no matter how it happens. Um, but I can also really imagine that for you, as the kid, it probably wasn't great to have people say like, oh, that's so much worse, you know, to you. I don't know if people said that to you. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But so first, I just wanted to, um, you know, ask you my general questions, which are like when you think back on that period of the early part of your grief, like what stands out to you? What do you remember, you know, sort of the most, what's the strongest memory about it? Well, both how sudden it was, mm -hmm. and then also just this really deep sense that everybody was tiptoeing around it and around us, right. my siblings and my father and I, right. um, you know, cause it, it wasn't like expected. It was just a shocker. Yeah. and a violent shocker and uh you know we lived in a really dangerous neighborhood in brooklyn and then i would go off to our little pristine suburb of brooklyn heights for school mm -hmm. and so in a certain way we were kind of other anyway for mm -hmm. living over there mm -hmm. and so yeah so i that was definitely there's this piece of it where you know we weren't in the right place or something. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, some of my friends weren't allowed to come to my house. Wow. And yeah. and I remember that you had like a really tight knit group of friends. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. like, how did it change? Did it change your friendships? Did you notice like shifts in your friendships or were your friends like pretty solid and steady? I feel like my friends really rallied around me. I mean, I remember them all there at my mom's memorial service. And yeah, no, they really rallied around me and, mm. uh, and we're all still friends to this day. There are seven of us. Which is so amazing. Um, yeah, it is. It's really, it's really amazing. Yeah. Um, so some, you know, some of whom I see more often than others or speak to more often than others, but right. all of those women just, I can just click back into close friendship with at a drop of a hat. That's kind of amazing. And I, I think it's mm -hmm. kind of rare too, you know, um, but when you say like people tiptoeing around it, so it wasn't really your friends, it was more like the adults or teachers or who was, who do you feel like? Yeah, I would say the adults. I don't remember anybody talking to me at mm. school or the parents of my friends. 
I don't remember anybody talking to me about it. I do definitely remember feeling like there were certain moms of my friends um, who totally had my back, mm. you yeah. know, and were there for me, yeah. but it was not spoken mm. of at all. Yeah. Um, so when you say they had your back, like, how did you feel that? How did you, how is that? Just that they would take extra time to talk to me, Um, you know, if I was over at their house. I kind of was, a lot of the moms really liked me already because my family structure was a little bit of a mess. Mm -hmm. And so kind of my winning formula was endearing myself to the other mothers. Mm -hmm. Um, So, (laughs) you know, it was useful. It was a useful strategy. Yeah, so it sounds like you had a certain amount of, like, self preservation kind of built in um and how do you feel like that kind of played out after your mom died like do you feel like that kind of kicked in or was already in place or how did you sort of navigate those those years of not just finishing high school but into college well I had a couple of adults who definitely kind of parented me Mm -hmm. um one of my mom's really close friends stepped Mm -hmm. up and really looked out for me Mm -hmm. Um, and then one or two, yeah, two of my good friends, moms. Um, and yeah, so I really felt I could rely upon them, but I don't remember anybody ever talking about what had happened. Okay. So like like, taboo. Right. And Um, so like when you, when you say that they were there for you or you really felt like they parented you, they were doing things like checking in on you or making sure you were okay, but not like going back to talking about what had happened. Right. Mm -hmm. And my mom's friend, she worked in the courthouse right near high school. And uh, she came to school every Friday and took me out for lunch for all of high school. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's huge. And she was kind of a little younger than my mom. So kind of cool. And um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely a special relationship in high school, which didn't really extend into college. Actually, a lot of my relationships with adults didn't extend into college because um, my dad of like at Thanksgiving of my first year in college uh, told me he didn't want me to, I couldn't live with him anymore. Right. I didn't go back to Brooklyn very much ever. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really keep in touch with any of the adults that um, that had kind of looked out for me in high school. And I was ashamed that he had kicked me out of the house. And I didn't want to know. I didn't want anyone to know because it was so awful that he would do that. Yeah. So I just kind of like retreated and pretty much haven't spent more than a week in Brooklyn since 1984. Wow. But yeah, but in college, I just, I didn't want anyone to know what had happened with my dad. And mm. I, you know, I think I was protecting him. Yeah. Interesting. More than even, more than even myself. It's so interesting to think about like protecting your parent at that age, you know? <laughs> like, <Right>. oh, <laughs> like, what I mean, were you've, we you've thinking? had a seven, yeah. You've yeah. had a 17 year old under your mm-hmm. roof. Can you imagine just looking one of them in the eye and just saying, you're no longer welcome to stay here? No. And and why was that? I mean, what was his, did he have a rationale or was it just? 
we had after so the first year after my mother was killed we were very tight my sister was in college my brother was in boarding school so it's just the two of us mm-hmm. and then in the spring of that school year he met a woman who he ended up marrying the next spring for mm-hmm. a two-year period that they were married um and so we kind of almost didn't have much to do with each other we lived mm-hmm. in a brownstone and their bedroom was on the middle floor and my bedroom was on the top floor and they had like they could close their doors and have sort of like this connected suite and we both used to double lock the door on each other so you wouldn't know if anybody was home when you got home Mm -hmm. um so we had a really separate life and i I mean i wasn't like a terribly rebellious teenager no but my father and i definitely fought and so after that divorce he moved to like a penthouse apartment on columbia heights with the view and everything and he just wanted to have a bachelor pad oh so there wasn't room there was a little room Mm -hmm. there was a small room but he didn't he didn't want a parent anymore Hmm. so talk about your siblings a little bit i know your siblings were super huge and supportive um to you you guys are all still really tight you live near each other like tell me how that went well partially because my dad kicked me out of the house when I did go to Brooklyn I would stay with them and my brother and sister went to college together and they're only a year apart and so they lived together in Brooklyn after college also so um so that was kind of the family home and it happened to be upstairs from my best friend's uh, Mm -hmm. parents Mm -hmm. because they had apartments in their brownstone above their apartment um so i think that was kind of the beginning my brother and i were always super super close as kids my sister and i became close um during my high school years her college years so yeah so we kind of had their apartment as our family home and you know we would make thanksgiving there and you know, do kind of grown up things, even though I was probably 18 or 19. Yeah. And then when I moved out here to Seattle, they came a few years later because mm-hmm. we all wanted to be in the same place. So we've been able to raise our kids together and really have the kids have really had really close cousin relationships. And that's been amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. So, Okay, so yeah, let's just go back to the question of how people reacted at the time or still react um, when you tell someone your mom was murdered or do you kind of avoid that? I I don't necessarily tell people that much because, you know, for the past, whatever it is, 43 years of having to navigate how people respond, Mm -hmm. that it's, it's just kind of a lot. It's like, I don't. I don't want to have to comfort somebody yeah. or deal with their shock and disdain over my story. Yeah. So I think I was joking with you before and I said, oh, it's, it always feels like it would just be so easy to say cancer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of people don't ask. Um, and I guess in the telling, if it's somebody who I choose, like, okay, I'm going to tell this story to, it creates intimacy in the Mm -hmm. telling. Right. 
because it's not something that I talk about a lot. Right. Right. I mean, I just know that for me, I even to this day, I think, you know, literally I went to the dentist this morning and somehow it came up and I had to deal with the, you know, the response of like, oh, you know, and I'm tired of it myself. And I just imagine for you, it's probably much bigger um, if you happen to tell them the circumstances. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is because it's becomes about their response Mm -hmm. and not necessarily about my story, unless it's somebody who I know that I want to trust the story with. It's kind of sensational. You know, people just go to like TV news drama when you say murdered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet it's something that really happens to real people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the time. Right. Right. Like, do you find yourself um, responding or being conscious of responding differently if you hear of somebody who lost a parent or someone whose loved one was killed in a violent way? Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of would come naturally to me, for sure, Mm -hmm. that because I've experienced it, I'm more sensitive if somebody shares a story with me. But I guess I do want to say, just because it's coming up in my mind, that I think people's shock um, is, and response is um, also informed by the privilege that we live in and always have lived in, which is like, oh, you know, successful white lawyers don't get murdered in their neighborhood. Um, Mm. Whereas I'm sure people living in less privileged circumstances, it is probably unfortunately more common like people are like oh, that happened to you it could happen you know like the shock of it mm-hmm. 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 so how is that diff- like how would you res- like how what would be a different response that you would give somebody if their parent were murdered mm-hmm. well i think just to talk about it and how it impacted them and share my story as well that's mm-hmm. always powerful yeah 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 i just know for me if somebody says they lost a parent i i never kind of go like you know i'm always just very matter of fact like oh okay yeah you know right or you, anything terrible you know any mm-hmm. any terrible thing that somebody shares i'm just like just go to the next thing like oh okay you know like it changes sure it, it I have to sort of reframe what I'm thinking about in terms of that person and the moment we're having, but I try not to have a react, a reaction, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and do you feel like you do that or you notice that sort of ability or your approach to kids in your work? As I know you're a teacher, you're in schools, like, yeah. So how do you think about that? Or do you feel like, all teachers are like this. I don't know. I mean, I think it is a little bit self-selecting for being the kind of person who really wants to support children. Ideally, Mm. that's what a school is. Those would be all of the adults in in every school. Um, But I, you know, I do think I have an advantage of having kind of had a lot of rough stuff go on in my own childhood. So I think that I can 
see pretty clearly when kids are having a hard time and can be supportive presence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talked about that a little bit in the beginning and I guess I want to dig a little into that. Like, how do you, you know, how would you recommend to say a new teacher to be a supportive presence around a kid who's, you know, is going through something and you can tell they're like tiptoeing around it or avoiding it. Like, how do you do that? Well, I mean, it depends on their age. I work with pretty young kids, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I think it's best to be direct and straight up and Mm -hmm. name what's happened to the kid if it seems appropriate. But I think you also have to follow their lead because if they're seeming like school is a place where they just don't think about this stuff, you don't want to be the one adult who says, oh, (laughs) I'm here for you. And no, exactly. I think that happens too. Yeah, totally. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I um, was interviewing my sister Quinn, she was talking about a teacher who like sort of skillfully made space for the conversation without asking directly about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think about that and I think about, um, yeah, cause I mean, I'm a teacher and sometimes a teacher, a classroom teacher will share with me that a student has, you know, just had a major loss or something. And, um, the way I think about it is I just kind of try to be extra sensitive to them, but yeah, I don't try to like shine a light on them because right. I feel like that's the experience that I had was like, I felt like there was this giant spotlight on me and I didn't want that, you know? Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I wanted to disappear at school. I wanted to forget at school for sure. Right. Um, which you sort Cause... of can. <laughs> right. Well, cause when you go home, that's when you're, in the place where your mom is no longer. Right. Whereas at school, it's just all your same age peers and the teachers are kind of on the periphery, really, in in terms of your, you know, emotional (laughs) sphere. Like, who are those Right. Right. Oh, I mean, I remember feeling like suddenly I was dealing with this sort of big adult grown-up problem of death and loss. Mm -hmm. And so the adults around me did seem kind of scary in a way because I was afraid they would want to talk about it you know and I think part of me did want to talk about it but I was afraid to it was a very confusing kind of both and you know of like wanting wanting support and being afraid of the discomfort and so it's a really like part of the idea of this podcast is to help adults around kids who are going through this to understand a little better how to support kids you right. Know, and I feel like I feel like the best what you just said, like meeting them where they are, you know, not kind of having a strong reaction, but also not necessarily sitting them down and trying to talk to them about it are all really good points, you know. Right. Right. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, you can kind of be like just aware that they are grieving and that that's a really different experience than probably most of their peers are having. Right. Right. I'm trying to think about whether I felt like there was a light on me, you know, Mm -hmm. at school. And Mm -hmm. I guess I, I never put it in those terms, but I guess I do agree with you Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's like this scarlet letter on your chest. My mother is dead. Yeah. Um, And everybody knows, even if they're not saying it. Right. 
And I don't, I wonder how I would have responded if a teacher just kind of said, Oh, Trilby, stay after class. Let's talk for a minute and mm -hmm. kind of sat me down and said, Oh, how are you doing? Right. I would have been completely avoidant. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that's like too much, but, yeah. but to, yeah, somehow make the space in the classroom after class be more welcoming if they wanted, if you wanted to hang out or just to mm -hmm. sort of recognize you as like, well, you're someone who is dealing with some pretty big adult problems. Let me just kind of talk to you on that level. You know, right. I think right. that's what Quinn was talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder how I would have responded, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it also may have made me feel special in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, seen in a good way. Yeah. Um, so, but that wasn't, I mean, it was 1980, right? Yeah. I mean, nobody even suggested that maybe we go get counseling or anything. Right. And I think, I mean, from teenagers I've talked to, I do think like those kinds of like, oh, let's put you in counseling that it doesn't usually work because they don't know the people, you know, right. like you're not about to talk to some person you don't know very openly as a teenager, you know? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think it's honestly better if the administrators or teachers that they do know can kind of like play more of a of a role. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that's just me. That's just my yeah. opinion. <laughs> right. I just I think, think now people would all be telling my dad, oh, get the kids some therapy. True. Yeah. You know, or yeah. family therapy for trauma, something. Yes, absolutely. But that wasn't really on the radar at all. And then... A couple years later, I got sent to therapy because I was bad, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. What were some of the, I mean, Trilby, I just don't think of you as rebellious teen at all, but well, what I just were some was, of the, some of the oh, trouble you got into? Oh, I just was super bitchy to my dad and to his new oh. wife. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't get in trouble. I was so, I was quite the goody two shoes. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But but I did have go through like a really bitchy phase and I think they right. just therapy was like a consequence. Okay. It was a terrible way to go into something. Right. And then I went What's to this woman in Brooklyn Heights who was super wonderful. And I used to sit in her basement and crochet with her and she was like an old grandma type. Mm. And then my dad and his second wife went to see her for some consult or something. And they came home and they said, you can't go see her anymore. What? And they took me back there the next week, I suppose, and waited in the lobby or whatever in her living room while I went in and said goodbye. And that was that. And they never uh. told me why or anything. Then oh they sent me God. to the therapist in the village who I just vividly remember was in this like stark white room white furniture, white clothes, long blonde hair. And I went once and I was like, I'm out of here. I will never come to this place again. <laughs> Just from that, from this like grandma who taught me how to crochet yeah. to this icy kind of setting and woman. Um, so yeah. And I do Did think you... the relationship with the therapist was really helpful and supportive until the, the rug got the pulled out. One. The yeah, crocheting the crochet, one. Yes. Right. <laughs> the crocheting old lady. She was Aww. lovely. 
Yeah. And did you just talk about whatever or did you talk about your mom or what happened? I think we talked about my mom and mm-hmm. and also what was going on with my dad because it was so hard at home and I was yeah. you know, kind of raising myself and my siblings weren't even there. So, right. yeah, she was good. She was a good therapist mm. until until I was banned. Mm. So, that was terrible. That was just so terrible. <laughs> that and the kicking me out of the house at 17. My dad really, he was... He, he yeah. had some winning, winning decision making he, moments. He, he gets a D, he gets a D minus. <laughs> D minus for for those things. I mean, he also, yeah. you know, he was two years sober when my mom was killed, and wow. he stayed sober for the whole rest of wow. his life. Um, okay. So that was pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being left with three teenagers like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. When do you feel like you came around to that, like having compassion for your dad? Um, probably not in my twenties. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not in my twenties. I remember right. when my dad's mom died, being on the phone with him, and he was sixty-five, and he wow. was heartbroken. It's like my mom died. I'm the last one. Blah blah blah. Like I had absolutely no sympathy for the man like you're 65 yeah (laughs) i don't feel sorry for you but i think maybe at some point after that i you know became a little bit more forgiving i mean i think that as you get older you have to see your parents for the struggles that they had yeah well being a parent helps right Definitely. Being a parent helps. And I mean, I remember he was just crushed when Mm -hmm. we learned that my mom was murdered. And I remember him weeping and and that was scary. I'd never seen him cry. Mm. But as a grown up, I think you can see see how your parents as grown ups were just like us trying to get it all together as best that they could, just as we do, as best as we can yeah um so and i it's it's really sad i mean it's i feel like my mom's death is obviously a terrible loss for me and my siblings and my dad but also for the world my mom was one of a handful of women uh who graduated law school in i don't know i want to say maybe 1972 or something Mm. She worked wow. in a corporate firm with all men for eight years before there wow. were any women there. And I like to say, and I think I'm right, that she opened the American workplace for women. Wow. She was really amazing. And she was wow. fun and lively and went roller discoing with her friends. <laughs> um, and she was really quite a person. You know, I mean, parenting wasn't necessarily super top on her list. You know, I think growing up in Michigan in the 50s, you had to have three kids, but she was very interested in her career and yeah. I think made a big difference for, you know, laid laid the groundwork for women to come. Right. So just by just by kind of forging ahead or um, being a trailblazer. Right. Or was that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she, wow. and she really was. Mm. So I, I like remembering that about her. Yeah. No, I, that's, because I'd be so proud. It is. It is. I am, yeah. I am really proud of that. Oh yeah. So a little bit more about your grief. Like, do you feel like that the grief of losing your mom is something that's sort of traveled with you all your life? Are you past it? Do you, like, how do you think about it? I don't know about past it. I think you incorporate it into who you are. Like when you're yeah. a person who has had the loss of a parent, I've been told your brain changes, like actually the structure of your brain changes, which, which yeah. I believe. And yeah. I think I do carry it with me and probably mm -hmm. always will. And you know, at every milestone, you graduate from college, you get married, you have a baby, you still don't have a mom. So I think milestones in particular are markers. And I also, so that's like, I get really sad if something like that happens. It's like, oh, I'm having my second child and I still don't have a mom to meet my second baby. Um, mm -hmm. And I also think that having that early loss does give me a unique perspective on other people's loss and other people's grief yeah. so that I can be more supportive. I think as my friends are now losing their parents, right. That I'm able to understand it much better than I did when my dad lost his mom at 65. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. Totally. And I mean, I think it sounds like it also gave you a lot of, um, I mean, it sounds like, I think all kids who lose a parent sort of have to grow up fast in a way, you know, like there's a, there's a, it's to me, grief is like a natural part of growing up. And so if it happens when you're really young, it's like this, like this mega boost of growing up, you know? Um, so, and I feel like that, independence and that feeling of having to look out for yourself is just like, you know, boom, you're, you're doing that. And I feel like for you and your siblings, especially, um, because of your dad and, you know, his kicking you out, but also, um, I don't know. I just think the way that you're, you, the three of you just like kind of banded together and we're like, okay, we're going to be our own family here. You know, and like you said, sort of doing grown-up-y things. I mean, you were doing grown-up things, you know, having your own holidays or organizing your own Christmas or whatever, mm -hmm. um, Hanukkah. Um, it's all like really, yeah, it's it's growing up fast. So, right. I mean, I do you feel, do you look back on that and feel like, yeah, I that gave me something to carry into adulthood? Yes, definitely in my relationships with them, but also a, a self-reliant piece that I think is, it's okay and also not okay. My therapist mm. actually called me out this week because she said, mm. I just want to share this experience that I'm having, which is that you bring something up and you've done it twice today where you bring something up and then you say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> And just kind of bring that self-reliant piece out when I'm paying to talk to somebody, um, right. which ultimately doesn't really serve me, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's so ingrained yeah. as a habit yeah. that right. 
it was actually good that she said that to me. So I have to yeah. pay better attention to that and, and figure out how not to do that. I think that's so interesting because I, I have a similar experience sometimes um, having that early experience of loss um, made me really good at telling myself I'm fine when I'm maybe not fine. And I think that's a mm -hmm. big, like going mm -hmm. back to how it was when you were a teenager like that. Um, the thing that really bothered me, tell me if you have this too, um, was feeling other people's sort of feeling sorry for me. Like that felt so gross mm. to me. I really hated that feeling. So I was always sort of like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Go away. You know, I didn't like those kinds of right. conversations. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, feeling sorry for me, but then also this little layer of disgust over how she was killed mm. or judgment. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, isn't it a little bit your fault or something? Yeah. God. Um, so. And why do you think people do yeah. that? I think it's just the discomfort of the violence mm -hmm. that right. they should. I mean, do you have like a, do you have like a script? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I probably say the same thing. I say that I grew up in a really dangerous neighborhood and, um, don't go into too much detail other than that. Mm -hmm. um, but my mom did help people out. And so she was known in the neighborhood. And so that ultimately was what happened to her. Mm -hmm. No, it was really shocking. And I mean, I remember um, being like, I guess, just two years older than you when that happened and hearing how it happened and thinking just like, um just really feeling terrible that you were gonna go through what i was going through that's mostly mm -hmm. what i felt you know i didn't think that much about how it happened honestly um because ultimately it doesn't matter ultimately she's gone and that's right. the bigger that's the bigger issue right um and i think even if your parent is slowly dying it really isn't real until they're actually gone Oh, absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. That that was what was so kind of weird about like my friends reactions going like, oh, well, you know, Trilby's mother was killed. That's so much worse than what happened to your mom. And I'd be like, what? How do you know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> your mom's going to be home um, tonight cooking you dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and also just like watching your mom die is pretty traumatic, too. You know, right. Um, it's not fun. Right. It's not fun. Yeah. And it was long, prolonged. I yeah. do remember in high school, because you were two years older, and two years older is a lot. It's like, oh, yes. those are the cool girls. And um, I do definitely remember, like, I had this strong sense that you were looking out for me. Oh, that's yeah. sweet. Yeah. So that was that was nice to have, uh, for sure. Mm. Yeah, no, I remember feeling like, an, and we were already, we already had a, some kind of a connection, but that like solidified it. Right. I remember hanging out in the library. Do you remember hanging out in the library? Oh yeah. I love yeah. the library. Yeah. You were, we were both in that library a lot. So, um, you're a mom, you've got two kids. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. 20, and... 20, almost 24 and almost 20 year olds. Okay. So they're grown ups. Yes. <laughs> they're big kids. I mean, do you feel like while they were growing up or while they were going through their adolescence, did it bring up for you like what you went through in those years? Like how did that, what was that like for you? Not consciously. I wouldn't yeah. say like, oh, my daughter's 13. That's when I lost my mom. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do think that one of the impacts, both of kind of how my family system was even before she was killed. And then obviously because of her death, I think it made me maybe um, a little bit more of a wimpy mom of like <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> of wanting to smooth the way for my Mm. kids and my daughter in particular, just because the oldest, it's the first time you ever, you know, go through somebody else's adolescent hormones with them. And I think that I did, you know, my husband would agree, smooth the way a lot and maybe Mm. a little more than I might otherwise have, or maybe a little Mm. more than is ideal in the sense of, um, helping them manage their discomfort without my intervention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. So, so smoothing the way by being super there, super present, super supportive. Yeah, and accommodating. And mm-hmm. maybe sometime to my detriment, you know, being mm-hmm. accommodating when somebody's not being super kind to you isn't mm-hmm. really a great model for boundary setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for example, right, um, right. but I mean, they both are really solid, really stable, stable, loving, emotionally available people. Well, so, there you go. Yeah. I think that's, I think that sounds like a win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a win, but sometimes I think I kind of wrapped myself around them in, mm. in ways that were harder on me mm-hmm. and less boundaried mm-hmm. than I guess I think I could I can relate to that I think I I would say it a little differently around my kids but I mean they're younger so maybe mm-hmm. you know talk to me in eight years but I definitely feel like um one thing I wanted to be sure to do was always um be open with them about their emotions make a lot of room for their emotions and try to talk to them about their emotions, help them figure out how to talk about them by just asking them questions. Like I would mm-hmm. just be like, oh, so how does that feel? Or like, if you could name a color, like what would it be? Or, you know, like when they were struggling with something. Right. Yeah. And just cause I felt like so alone in all my feelings as a teenager, I, I do, I did want to kind of help them navigate all that. And I think it, at least, I'd say they both seem to appreciate that. Like, they'll tell me, like, oh, I'm really good at talking about my emotions because of you. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that. I would say I definitely didn't do enough of that. And I Mm. remember noticing certain friends, two in particular who I can think of, who really did a good job with that. And Mm. I think that my I'm self-reliant, everything's fine kind of persona maybe Mm -hmm. didn't make enough space for them to share their mm. feelings because mm-hmm. I was busy being impossibly okay all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, we all have our 
our regrets around parenting. Yeah. That just comes with the territory. I have right. mine, but they're in a slightly different area. But I do think like, um, you know, my neighbors or, or my friends would definitely say, oh, you're such a pushover. Like I definitely didn't, I wasn't going to be the kind of parent that was going to be um, strict or push her kids or, you know. Right. Right. And I was just like, there's just no way I could do that. I'm just, I'm not made of that. You know, I didn't have it. And so, yeah. Right. I mean, my dad, when, you know, by the time I was 14 and on, I really didn't have much parental oversight at all. So, you know, I, I figured out that I could get along pretty well without that. So Mm -hmm. I love giving my kids a lot of freedom, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm. Right. And being like, yeah, you can make, you can go make that mistake. Go ahead. You'll learn something. (laughs) Right. My sister had this, you know, this great line she would use with her kids. She would say, well, I I hope, I hope that goes your way. Or (laughs) I I hope that works out for you. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Let them make mistakes. Right. Or like, or like sending my, my ninth grader um, off into the, you know, public transportation system in LA and, you know, (laughs) in ninth grade and all my friends were like you're what and i was like yeah that's you know it's great lessons in growing up you know right be a city Public kid transportation absolutely i guess oh, in yeah. la you're not like a real city kid so yeah and most kids don't common. have that yeah most right. kids are still getting driven around until they have their own license and it was so great for her to discover the trains and the buses and that she could get on around without me you know i she loved was- the subway Oh yeah. But we had so much autonomy because of public transportation. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. And I, I really valued that. I had so much, it was so much fun. Mm -hmm. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. I felt like that was a big part of my grieving was like, I was always looking for fun because fun was like a great escape from those feelings, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was just Mm -hmm. like, always looking for a party, always looking for (laughs) the most fun people I would like gravitate towards. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't think that I did that. I don't think I was looking for the the most fun people because I was very into school. Okay. Yeah. I was, you know, I mean, I was in a way like maybe a goody two shoes, but also just like genuinely really interested in school and wanted to do all my homework and read every last word of what was given to us. And so that just by nature, I was more kind of bookwormy probably than seeking fun. Yeah, exactly. But we all probably smoked too much pot. I do remember that. Definitely. (laughs) So much in high school. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. Also changes your brain forever. Right. (laughs) Which is kind of scary to think about. You know, I think about just like different mental health crises I've had over the years or anxious periods. I'm like, yeah, that would be because I stripped all the myelin out of my brain when I was 15. (laughs) Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. I've Uh always, have you had anxiety most of your Mm -hmm. life? Yeah, Mm -hmm. me too. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't think I did before that. I mean, I remember my siblings were looking out for me and uh, didn't let me smoke pot till I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, uh-oh, it looks like my... 
Well, okay. So last question, is there anything, um, is there anything that your experience of losing your mom like gave you that you, you know, that you wouldn't give back? Well, I think the self-reliance, while it's a double-edged sword and got me called out by my therapist this week, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, I think that's a real strength. Yeah. Um, I think that's a huge strength and, and also my relationships with my siblings. Yeah. So, I mean, people always are commenting on my brother and my sister and I and how lucky we are to all live in the same city and to be so close. And I cannot imagine what my life would be like without them here and without the bonds that we all share and my brother's wife as well. He married a wonderful, wonderful woman. Mm. And, um, yeah. So I guess those would be the two takeaways Yeah, yeah. are the self-reliance and then those relationships. Yeah. 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 Ah, Trilby. So nice to talk to you. Thanks so much you for too. taking the time. And it's always really just such a pleasure to hang with you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it. And let me explain what that means because so many people have told me, I don't know how to rate it. I don't know how to review it. So you have to go to the podcast show to click the little three dots up by the name of the show. And it should offer you um, at the bottom of the show page um, some stars that you can give it stars and you can write a review. There'll be a little button that says write a review. Um, I would really appreciate it. And lastly, I want to thank Josephine Wiggs for the music. This song, Time Does Not Bring Relief, is from her album, We Fall. <laughs>